Welcome to Short Course, episode 91, for February 10th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. As uh, promised last week, I will be talking this week about the class that I took shortly before the, the Pan American match. The class was with Eric Groffel, and I pronounce that deliberately because watching videos of him speak, I've realized that I have been pronouncing his name wrong, and I think everybody I know has been, but it's Groffel. That's the way he pronounces it, so I will try to get that right throughout this, uh, or I'll just call him Eric, but Eric Groffel. So I had the the opportunity to, to take a, a two-day class with him, as I mentioned. Last week, it was just one of these things out of the blue, Buck Lawler from this group, Strapped, who ended up basically, from what I heard of the story, basically just kept saying, hey man, we want, we want to do a class with you. We want to do a class with you. And through pure persistence, got him, uh, got him to, to make it happen because, in part, he was already in the U.S. for a SHOT Show. So basically he flew back from SHOT Show, did two two-day classes, and then shot the, the Pan American Extreme match at Volusia that I talked about last week. And then he, uh, he, he got a well-deserved break back at home. And to be totally honest, the, the timing of the class couldn't have worked out better. Yes, it was not ideal trying to change a bunch of stuff right before the, the Pan American match, but I wasn't really trained up for that anyway. And as it is, having gone through this class and had a lot of things to, to work on and a lot of ideas to, to try and integrate, starting at the beginning of the year, it's it, honestly, it's, it's the best time this could have happened. So I've, I've got sort of all these things to work through. And hopefully that's clear as I as I talk through this. I will I will try first off disclaimer. I am this is this is my secondhand regurgitation of what I think he said. If he were here, he might say there are some nuance to that, or there are some cases where this don't doesn't apply, or or, or that sort of thing. But this, I will try and and represent what he said as accurately as possible, and sort of give some some nuance and context where I have understood it along the way. But nothing. This is not straight from his mouth. Uh, this is all sort of filtered through me. So I will try to be as faithful as I can, but but no promises. And then second, a lot of these things that he talked about, a lot of the ideas that he introduced, I'm still processing and figuring out how to integrate them into my practice. So my view on these things is definitely not finalized, and I'm I'm sure I'll be talking about some of the things that I learned and how I'm applying them throughout this this year as uh, as I continue making podcasts about the various matches and, and whatnot that I'm shooting. So those disclaimers out of the way. My background training class-wise is that I actually, it's funny, there's there's a good parallel. So uh, the, the first competition-focused class I ever took was with Steve Anderson in November of 2014. And I was thinking at the time, man, I'm I'm just feeling really burned out. I'm not making progress. I was B class, I I initially classified C. I managed to shoot enough classifiers that didn't that I didn't completely bomb to make it into B. But I, I felt like I this was I'd come from IDPA. This was a whole different level of of speed, and I just I didn't know where to go with it. And Steve Anderson taking the class, the the main thing that he kind of opened my eyes on was just how you could structure dry fire and how you could make progress in dry fire with very simple drills that didn't necessarily need to represent a full USPSA stage. Now, I, I will say personally, I, my view on his program at this point is especially, you know, the 12 drills of refinement and repetition and all that. They, they are very good if you want to shoot sort of classical 
stand and shoot six reload six style classifiers. Obviously, there's there's more to it, and I don't think he would deny that. But just the idea of hey, pick some really simple stuff and just practice it really hard, and you'll get a lot better. That that really opened my eyes, and that's what actually got me to not just really get on a a really sort of serious dry fire plan, but to look into getting a, a range membership so I could live fire, and that's how I ended up joining Sir Walter Gun Club, uh, and and so that kind of put me off on this this whole path, and then over the years since then. There were, I want to say, two or three years where Ben Steger came and and taught a class nearby, and I was able to uh, be in those classes. And so sort of each year, I I got a kind of a check-in and a kick in the pants and a, hey, work on this. Hey, this is going okay. So those are the the classes that that I have context for. I haven't taken any, any other formal instruction since whenever the last time, I think it was probably 2017, 2018, somewhere in there that, uh, that, that Ben came to North Carolina and I was able to get in one of his classes. But that said, I, I don't know that that's, that's super relevant. I just, I don't have a ton of ability to contrast, say, Eric with JJ, which is obviously a common, you know, the, the class that I was taking was in Florida. So that was kind of a common topic. But that said, I, I don't think that'll really detract from, from what I have to say. I, I think a lot of what he says sort of stands on its own. So the general structure of the class, like I said, it was a two-day class. So the the morning of the first day, we did some everybody on a line, everybody has their target, just some kind of common firing line type stuff, which I think is probably part of just you know getting a feeling for the class, getting every being able to see everybody shoot kind of all at once, and uh, just figure out where different people are, what different people are going to struggle with, that sort of thing. So I think that that's probably I would imagine a, a common thing for him in, in classes just as a, as a, as a starting measure to kind of start day one. We did some of that, just talking about drawing the gun and, and some of that common firing line type stuff, set up a a sample stage. Everybody ran it, got some feedback on what they did, but also Eric was starting to say, Hey, look at what the guys ahead of you on the stage are you doing and use that to help inform your decision-making try and get a sense of what the hit factor on the stage is going to be. What's the, what's the time that that is, what, what's a good time on the stage where are people struggling, where they're, they having issues with hits, watch the people in front of you. If there's something that they did on the stage that you didn't see, if it, if it's something that is useful, steal it. This, this was a class, but this was also a learning experience and we were tracking the times and the hits and, and calculating the hit factors. And he was, he was starting to get us into the idea of okay, you need to, you want to be able to calculate hit factors without having to wait for practice or practice score to spit it out. So, know how many rounds the stage is, know how many total points it is. Take off of that, take the points that were the points down, so you have the the number of points they earned, and then be able to 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 calculate the hit factor. You know, use your phone calculator if you need to do it. But this this idea that you should be you should have a live ability to look at someone's run, calculate their hit factor, know what that means and and not just wait for practice score to spit the score out. He didn't phrase it exactly like that, but that was kind of, you know, that that's the interpretation I would give on it. That was definitely interesting to me in the, the sense that I know I've heard various super squad guys talking about the fact that they're tracking points and, and all this, but I wasn't really thinking in terms of, you know, the actual nuts and bolts of how that was done. And that, that was a good setup. So right before lunch on the, on the first day, he actually, we just had a, a sort of sit down lecture and he used a target as the, as the whiteboard and drew up a bunch of scenarios of, okay, calculate this hit factor. Okay. Figure out who's winning the stage, 
figure out how many points they're ahead. And, and he really got a chance to kind of go into the way that he tracks everything in a stage and knows how many points ahead he is or, you know, how many points he needs to make up or something like that. And I mean, the, the short version is it, it all comes down to converting everything into stage points and then just keeping a running tally, like I said, of, of you know, who's how far ahead or behind. And then each stage you, you know, add or subtract from the, the gap and that sort of thing. And again, I, I knew that that the top guys were doing this, uh, but it, it was it was interesting to have him kind of give his perspective on it and and the sort of process of how he gets from hits and time into stage points and and then tracks that. And honestly, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I am I am a very analytical person. I find when you can actually use math to do something practical, I find that kind of fun when I'm working on a carpentry project or a 3D printing project and trigonometry actually is able to give me the exact answer to something, it's 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 cool. And it's not something that, that happens every day. And so when when you can actually flex that muscle and have it work for you, I, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. And so to have him just every at, at almost every turn, everything was very analytical with he was trying to put numbers on everything. When he when he would describe a partial, it would be, you know, fifty percent, seventy five percent when he was talking about the how much trigger weight to have on the 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 take up versus the break it was it was all it was it was fractions and percentages and and very you you got a sense that it was very numerical he had thought through these things and it wasn't just eh i don't know like 50-50 it was he he actually had really put some precision and some and some thought into these things and i i appreciated that sort of analytical mindset and it really came through and obviously this is he is he knows that he's a gamer he didn't you know he wasn't trying to do any self-defense stuff or, or talk about carry guns or anything about that. It was, this is everything he was doing was talking about. This is a game. Here's the points. Here's the scoring. You should know it. This is, this is what we're really in this sport for. And if you want to take and apply that stuff to, to something else, obviously you can do that, but that's not what he was interested in. And that's not his subject matter. And, and so he knew obviously to, to, to leave that well enough alone as though that needs saying. After lunch on the the first day, then we set up some spread things out on the the bay a little bit more. Set up a couple different stations and worked on some specifics about movement. So techniques you would use for left to right versus front to back, and and coming into position, leaving position, and just sort of the the emphasis and and what he looks for and the, the techniques that he's trying to apply. So that was very sort of nitty gritty nuts and bolts. But then. Once the drills were set up and you ran them through, you also you you were trying to apply those techniques that he was talking about and and look for the the things that he was trying to point out, but at the same time just generally apply all the other standards. So keep to the accuracy standard that that he'd set and and that sort of thing. And then to end day one, set up another kind of sample stage type thing. Except, I mean, it's it's it was a very loose stage. There were no walls. There were just a couple of target stands as shooting positions, and he would. It was it was much more like scored practice. It was hey, uh, the the rules were very loose. I don't remember exactly which stage we did win, but the the general format was something like you know you can pick whichever whichever position you want to shoot at, but you and you have to shoot at least one target from each position, but you can decide which targets you want to shoot from where. You can shoot five from one and then one from all the rest, and you can pick which one you start from. And so there was this this element of problem solving, and you, you could tell that he really enjoyed setting up these problems and then playing with them and 
A, trying to, to shoot them in lots of different ways, but B, also really not just trying to set up something that's a sort of narrow simulation of, of a USPSA or IPSC stage, but something that is is a more expansive one where you actually have more problem solving and it actually gives you more options, which again, you won't necessarily see to match, but the principles that you can learn and, and some of the advantages in this simplified scenario do sometimes apply. And so it was, it was very interesting that you could tell that, you know, he would kind of give us the stage brief and then kind of watch everybody try and figure out what the, they thought the best way to shoot it was. And he kind of enjoyed watch, seeing the wheels turn, seeing how everybody thought. Uh, and, and I, I mean, I think obviously he, he knows the way that he would shoot each of these stages if it were for score or something like that. But again, it was, it was interesting having this dynamic where we were keeping score for everyone that was shooting. We didn't write people's names next to their scores, although you, you kind of could remember, oh yeah, okay, so-and-so had the really good run or, you know, so-and-so dropped the two mics or whatever. But just just writing all, the thing, all these things down and then calculating the hit factor and just going through this exercise after every run. Okay, here's the time, here's the hits. How many points is that? Divide it by the time. What's the hit factor? And, and just trying to get people in the rhythm of, of not just, again, being dependent on practice score to do it, but being able to do it yourself, being comfortable. And, and it was definitely noticeable for me as, as we went through it. I mean, the, the, I know the math, but doing it quickly on the range when you're tired, when you've just shot, you know, if you, if you were just the shooter, you know, maybe you're a little out of breath being, I could feel myself getting faster just, just from repetition of that skill. And so that's definitely something that I'm trying to incorporate going forward. So as soon as I'm done on a stage, I want to be you know, obviously I know, want to know my points, but then, okay, how many rounds is it? Figure out the, the actual number of points that I got, calculate my hit factor, and just, just start working through those things and, and have that math not be as manual, not have it be so conscious, have it be a little more familiar and, and easy to do quickly. And then day two, we started with a little more common fire line type stuff, had a little man-on-man competition, which is interesting, and and that's definitely one of those. Having everybody on the line firing next to you is is definitely a type of pressure you don't get in a match because there's just people shooting right next to you. Even even at a shoot off, which is pretty rare here in the U.S., it's only one other person. But having five, six, ten people next to you on the line shooting, I mean, it was cool. I enjoyed it. And in any time you get to to have a little competition with your classmates, it's it's fun. Uh, and so obviously I think that gets, you know, everybody gets a little trigger time to start the day, you get warmed up. And then we went into more of these kinds of separated drills where he'd set up, you know, two practice setups or three practice setups and you'd cycle through them and you'd run it and he'd give you feedback and pretty, pretty standard instructor stuff for us. The morning of day two was focused on transitions. So having diverse target arrays and working on shooting them in different orders and just transitioning between targets and having really crisp precise transitions, getting good points, not dragging Charlie's on and off the target, that kind of thing. And this was both important on its own, but built on what the plan was for the afternoon, which was about shooting movers, primarily swingers. So the the two major types, right? One being the over-the-top swinger and the other being the swinger that's available at the dwell, the, the different approaches for shooting them, how he approaches it, what he is looking for in the swinger during the walkthrough to, to estimate various, you know, his, his stage plan and that sort of thing. And, uh, again on day two around lunchtime. And then at the end of the day, we had a, a little miniature stage and everybody shot it and, and you got to score each other and, and, and see the, all, all that kind of stuff. So that was the, the overall format. That was kind of the, the, the schedule, but space throughout, there would be digression. Someone would ask a question or something would come up on a run. And we'd end up talking about 
something else. And that, that was really interesting. The, the, the class felt very customized. I did end up uh, seeing some of what the second class did. And they their, their whole structure was different. They had a whole block on shooting on the move instead of our stuff on transitions. And so he definitely customized it somewhat to the to the people. I know the class organizer had solicited us to say, hey, send me one thing you want to work on. So I don't know if a bunch of people in my class said transitions or or what, but that's it was definitely all useful stuff. I, I was I was very happy with the, the topics covered and it, it the, the skills were interesting. But a lot of what I took away was also just the general mindset and and the approach to the problems and the approach to practice and and the sort of meta skills. Yeah, it was it was cool to have certain technique tips that will definitely help me in the short term. But there's also some long term stuff that I'm that that I'm still going to be processing and integrating into into my mindset going forward. And I mean, definitely the the biggest one of that and and something that was the topic of a lot of conversation almost in in every block of the of the class was. Eric's idea around how to practice and the importance of never practicing the same thing twice. And I'd, I'd heard this idea, but I never really understood it. And getting to see it applied the way that he practices and also talk to him and, and, and understand the, the thinking a little bit better, it, it makes a lot of sense. And there are a few pieces to it. So the, the, the first one is in talking to Eric and trying to understand his approach to stages he didn't really subscribe to, I think, what is the standard American mental game post-Brian Enos dogma that the goal is to shoot every stage as subconsciously as possible. The goal is to make your your perfect movie of the stage and have everything go according to plan, and as long as everything does go according to plan, it will. Now, I'm, I, this is not what he said. He basically just said he's not trying to shoot a stage in pure subconscious flow. He's got cues that he's looking for in in each position in each each sector of the stage and as each one of those is coming up it, it may be that on a given position he's got two plans depending on where a, a swinger's at and he's going to pick that plan and then execute it it's not it, not to put words in his mouth but it's not the sort of perfect kind of movie that you visualize ahead of time and then hopefully it it goes off flawlessly instead it's it's much more about getting as much information as you can in your three or four minute walkthrough, because in IPSC, it's not like USPSA where you could show up an hour early and walk a particularly complicated stage 20 minutes for 20 minutes. In in IPSC, now the stages are simpler to some degree because they are built in a way that you're not expected to need 20 minutes to be able to walk them through. There's a, there's a certain rhyme and reason to the way they're, they're all built generally speaking obviously there are exceptions to everything but but generally speaking it's going to be more straightforward because there's this expectation that you will be able to come up with your stage plan in 3 to 5 minutes depending on how much the 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 match gives you on on each given stage and my interpretation of of what he was saying is that basically you just you don't have enough time to to make a perfect visualized walkthrough that that will let you shoot the whole thing subconsciously you basically as you're doing your walkthrough again this is my interpretation not anything he literally said but as you're doing your walkthrough you're you're looking for certain cues you're you know trying to take mental snapshots of target presentations and, and that sort of thing in each position so you know what you're looking for but you you have to be very economical with with what you're looking at because you don't have that much time and you're you're not you're just not going to be shooting in this sort of pure subconscious bliss where you're just observing yourself shooting and, and watching the gun go off. And I, I'm actually inclined to go along with this. I, I definitely, 
in the I, I have had a chance to shoot three matches. So there was a, a night Wyoming Antelope Club match that that I got to shoot the day after the class, then the whole three days of the Pan American, and then since then I've shot a, a match at Sir Walter and trying to shift my mindset. Maybe this is just improved results because I'm just trying something different. You know, sometimes just changing anything can can see a short term positive result. So it's it's not a done deal. It might be too early to tell, but I definitely I personally feel like taking this approach of of not expecting to shoot the whole stage in this sort of subconscious, blissful, zen, uh, fugue state, you know, whatever you, you want to call it, which is, I think, kind of the way I'd been, I'd been trying to, to, to shoot is visualize the stage through 10, 20, 30, 40 times as much as possible. And then when the time comes, just, you know, press play on the movie and let it happen. And I think that works to some degree with very simplistic stages or very predictable stages, but again, with something like the the Pan American match, where even for the 32 rounders, we were only getting a three minute walkthrough. I, as I was walking through, I was looking for cues. And then in my visualization, I was, I was not trying to subconsciously absorb those. I was just walking through, Hey, when I get to this spot, this is the cue I'm going to look for. This is what I want to see on the target. This is what I want to do, leaving that position, that sort of thing. And then when I was actually going through and shooting it, it was, it was not conscious in the sense that I was thinking about, okay, grip, trigger, squeeze, okay, equal height, equal light. It's not conscious in the mechanics of the shooting, but there were these sort of conscious cues. And for example, at this this match this past Saturday at, at Sir Walter, I, there was a stage that was a 24-round stage. I was shooting carry optics. I was going to try and shoot it without a reload. I took a, a makeup shot on a mini popper, and I just it was almost it it didn't break my concentration, but I during the stage I sort of heard this this voice almost that was like, okay, well now you have to reload and here's where you're gonna do it. And it wasn't personally I've I found that, that that sort of subconscious shooting mindset is strong but brittle. And as soon as something would go sideways, as soon as anything would go wrong in the stage plan, I felt like I was playing catch up and I, it was it was again very strong but brittle. And so as soon as it broke, it completely shattered. Whereas trying to take this mindset, again, maybe it's just because it's new and I'm still getting used to it, but but taking this mindset into the, the few matches that I've shot since the class, I definitely felt like I I was able to adjust to things and also not try and have such strong expectations. So one of the other things that, that I found in the Pan American matches, you just you can't get a perfect visualization on every stage, every target presentation as you move through the thing. There's just going to be little unexpected things where you, especially with a, a limited walkthrough in an IPSC match, you just, you're not going to get it exactly right. Your movie is not going to be perfect. It might be that one target appears slightly before another. And in this less subconscious mindset that I think I, <laughs> I think is what Eric was encouraging us to shoot in, but I don't know for sure. It definitely felt like it was just more nonchalant. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can see that. I guess I'll shoot that guy, and then I'll shoot that guy. Whatever. It was it was much more flexible, much less brittle. And so that's that's kind of a long-winded digression. But but that I think is is a part of this idea. So when you take that into practice, the idea is you never want a drill in practice to be perfectly subconscious. You don't want to run the same drill right to left, left to right every single time. Because at a certain point, it is going to become subconscious and your transitions are going to get snappier. I mean, anybody who's dry fired the same drill for five minutes in a row will feel this where you'll you'll actually, whatever part time you set at the beginning of the five minutes, you'll be beating it by a few tenths by the end. Even though if you were to run that drill first thing tomorrow, 
you'd be back to your your starting part time because all that's happened is you've sort of learned the exact muscle memory of of moving the gun in the the, the predetermined pattern. And so the idea is don't have any predetermined patterns. Every every drill in practice and in dry fire, change up the target order at least, or draw to a different target, or just have every drill be subtly different. And the idea isn't necessarily that you can walk up to a, a stage and visualize it once and then shoot it the way you're you're only going to get one or two visualizations on on each, say, target order in a in a practice session, but just the idea of, of getting used to quickly learning different orders and and having that that skill in your repertoire and having that part of your brain, even in practice, having that part of your brain that's trying to schedule what the next thing is that you need to do. Oh, okay, I do a reload and then what target do I come out to? Having that part of your brain be active even when you're practicing because it's always going to be active during an actual stage. And ultimately, that's what we're practicing for is a stage, is something that you've never shot before. You visualized it, but there's always going to be that element that you, in a, in a drill where you've repetitively done it 5, 10, 20 times, and again, this is this is my interpretation, not his exact words, but my interpretation, when, you, when you've done a drill that many times, it actually frees up part of your brain power to focus more on gripping the gun, aligning the sights, having a good good technique on the reload. And so by running your drills in a way that that part of your brain has to stay focused on on the order of the targets or the whatever you're doing next in the stage that you've never done before. So it still feels slightly foreign, slightly weird. By having that part of the brain be engaged, you don't have as much brain power to do all the other stuff. And so you practice doing it with the brain power that you're actually going to have available on an actual stage. That's the best pitch I can <laughs> I can give for it right now. I don't know that, that it entirely makes sense, but again, this is this is one of those things that I'm still piecing through and, and trying to put into practice in, in my own shooting. I, I mean, I, I will say, so again, at the, at the match this past weekend, there was something that Eric said during the class that came to fruition, and, and what he said, and again, this was during one of these exercises where we were shooting one of these sample stages and everybody was shooting it and some folks would take a different approach and, and there was some discussion at, at some point about at what point does it make sense to, to change your, your stage plan? And he just, he just flat. And this is, this is something that, that sticks in my mind as a direct quote. He was, he said in 30 seconds, you should be able to reprogram your stage plan. If the guy, if the next shooter in front of you does something that is significantly better, you should be able to steal it in the time that it takes the the staff to reset the stage and then you to make ready and, and then shoot it. Now, this is in the context of IPSC where the stages, again, the stages do tend to be somewhat simpler, but you should be able to say, oh, he shot this target from there or whatever and, and make that change. And ideally you have enough detail in your not subconscious visualization, but enough detail in the snapshots and the, the, the conscious planning that you've done that you can just sort of rearrange the puzzle pieces or, or whatever. And that's, that, this is, again, this is an N of one, this is one data point, but at the, the match this past weekend, I was literally walking it through as the on-deck shooter, and this was a, this was the, the big field course at, at Sir Walter on the, the, the biggest bay that we have, and it was actually a stage I had designed, and I was walking it through, and on my, during my on-deck walkthrough, I saw a nuance that it was easier to take a shot from one place than another, which changing that meant I had to reload, uh, instead of being able to reload to a 20 round magazine, I needed to reload to a 23 rounder because I was moving a target from being shot in the first magazine to the second. So I had to readjust all that. And instead of 
saying, oh, there's no way I could I could revisualize my whole stage plan. I just said, okay, we're just going to make this one tweak. And I just sort of ran through the, the, the steps right before and after it and just queued it in and it worked. And so there's something here. I, you know, I, again, this is, this is the kind of thing that I'm going to be processing and tinkering with for six months, a year, maybe the rest of my shooting career. I don't know, but they're, they're definitely early flashes of this, this mindset of it's not about having this perfect rehearsal that then you just go blank and execute like a robot, but, but having that, that bit of your brain active during the stage so that you can adjust to unforeseen things like, you know, jams or whatever. Um, again, another anecdote from the the very first match I shot after the class, it was, it was a Tuesday night match at the, the Wyoming Antelope Club. And it was the, the last stage of the day. And I ended up getting a, a jam where basically there was a round that was too long. And so uh, I go to pull the trigger, nothing happens. I go to rack the slide, slides locked up. So I had to do the thing where you grab the slide, whack it with the, the beaver tail of your hand to, to knock the round loose. And again, it was one of these where I was, I was not trying to shoot in this sort of perfect blank mind, subconscious mindset, but I was, I was taking this sort of sub, this conscious cues approach. And there again, the best way I can describe it is I sort of heard a voice as I'm doing this. I, I'm, I'm grabbing the slide, I'm hitting it with the, the web in my hand. And, I'm, and I just sort of hear this voice saying, well, you're not going to win raw time, but just get back on the plan. And that was it. And it was the the last position. You had to step on a box. And then my plan was to take two static targets before the swinger that was activated by the box and then a third target. And I, again, executed that perfectly. Good points on all the targets where, again, it's it's hard to know what would have happened without the class. But my sense is knowing myself and knowing my shooting that jam would have thrown me for more of a loop. It would have been more of a, ah, crap, now I got to rush, try, hurry, and and all that to to make up the time. And it was, there's just a certain sort of calmness and a a peace of mind and a mindfulness, not an empty mind kind of state, but a, but a presence of mind. I I know this is sounding very woo woo, but I, I I just, I don't have the words for it, but, but anyway, yeah, I just kind of had that, that calmness and just said, all right, get back to it. And so early, early signs of progress, but Anyway, this has gone way far afield. Again, one of the things that, that was a constant refrain in the in the class was even when you were shooting the same target setup twice, pick a different order, start with a different target, or in some cases it would be a, a sort of uh, quasi-designated target setup where you would pick one target, transition to all the other targets, and between every other target you'd come back to this one that you started on, that kind of thing. And so whether it's in live fire or dry fire, you can apply that approach you can just pick different target orders. I mean, again, in the in the interest of stretching your brain and trying to get you away from just doing whatever's the most convenient, because sometimes in a stage you might have to skip a target or shoot a target from a weird spot or see something and wait to engage it from later. Maybe it's a popper that activates a mover or something like that. And so building that into your practice regularly, not just shooting the most convenient left to right, right to left order, but saying, hey, I'm going to start on this guy, then go left, far to the right, and then come back and, and work the rest of the array right to left. Okay, that's one target order. You shoot it that one way. And you're going to mess it up. And you're going to want to shoot it again and, and get a do-over. But there are no do-overs. You just got to accept that failure. You just got to live with it. And I, I'm trying to apply this in live or in a, in my dry fire. It's interesting. I've I've had three sessions so far this way, so it's again, I'm I'm still getting used to it, but but I definitely think there's some promise here. If nothing else, after what? It's been 
eight years since I, I took the Steve Anderson class. So I've, I've kind of been in a, in, in a particular form for a while. So even just anything to get me out of that rhythm, get me trying new things, I think is going to help me break through the, the, the plateau that I'm on. So that's going to be helpful, I think. Again, I, I don't know how this compares to other instructors, but something that I, I did find very interesting when uh, Eric would talk about a particular technique. So take, for example, the afternoon of day one when we're talking about just moving left and right. So you're in a position, you need to go to the next position, and it's either directly to your left or directly to your right. How do you, how do you push out a position? Where does the gun go? How, where do you, what's your emphasis? What are you, and, and everything that he was talking about, he, and he took probably five, 10 minutes to talk about what would take a second and a half to do, shoot a shot, move to another spot three yards away, set up. And he, he could have just demoed it. But one of the things that I appreciated was the, the talking it through in almost a painful level of detail. Uh, I, I know I sort of appreciated it. But I could easily imagine someone just wanting to be like, okay, let me just try it. Let me just do this. But he, he really broke it down. And again, the thing that I appreciated about his approach was he was extremely analytical and not just talking about what to do, but why, you know, hey, if you do this, then this is the, the, the consequence. And then talking about sort of the cues that he's looking for in each technique. So as an example, the way that he talked about if you're moving up range and you're turning into the gun. So basically, if you're a right-handed shooter, you're you're turning your body 90 degrees to the right and bringing the gun in towards your chest. And one of the things that he talked about was, you know, you, you basically, once you've got your, your body turned, he wants a, a, a sort of kick, like the elbow leads, and, and that's what kind of pushes him out of position. And then and then that's sort of the, the, the snap. And And I'm thinking... Okay, physically, the mass of your elbow is not significant relative to the mass of your whole body. But obviously, these are the kinds of of cues that he's trained himself on, so that when he wants a certain thing to happen, it's a it's sort of a physical act that is the lead domino that that unlocks everything else. And so, by having these little cues, you're not just trying to to move your whole body; you're kind of focusing your whole mind into into one physical action that then everything will lead will be led by. And I, you know, I, I appreciated that mindset. It wasn't this, okay, here are the 17 things you need to do all at once. It was, it was, hey, here's the cue for this. First step should feel like that. Second step should be like that. And then from there, you're off and running. And I could see the value of sort of visualizing those things in, because again, you're, you're almost certainly in, in a lot of IPSC matches, you're not actually going to get a chance to do a, a full speed walkthrough of the stage, except maybe right before you, you go up just because given the the short time frame, you're probably going to have other people in the shooting area. And so the, the chances of being able to actually do a, a full speed run or something through the, the shooting area is pretty low. So I would imagine, again, this is me extrapolating, but I would imagine part of the value of this is you can, you can actually visualize through even not just, okay, I want to go here. I want to shoot this target. Here's kind of the, the level of, of confirmation I want to see on it. But then leaving the position, here's the here's the cue I want to feel leaving because I want to leave in this particular way. Or when I come into the position, here's how my feet, I want my feet to feel that leaves me set up to leave the position aggressively in the direction that I want to go wherever I'm going to after this. So it was, it was very interesting, again, not just saying do this, but sort of here's why, here are the, the things that it benefits. And, you know, sometimes you talk about here are the things I don't recommend. So, you know, for example, one uh, one that came up a lot was in the the left to right type movement. 
being a real stickler for keeping the gun very much downrange. Nowhere near the 180, probably not even beyond sort of 45 degrees left or right. And he didn't say this, but I would infer it was probably because, especially in IPSC, you travel all over the, the world, eventually you're going to get some some real tight RO who's going to decide to call you at 170, and you can say till the cows come home, well, I didn't break it, but if that RO calls it, you're, you know, you've just flown however far around the world to shoot this match for nothing. And so, you know, for him, the, the, the benefit of training that way was to be extremely safe because you never know what ROs you're going to run into. That, that's my, that's my guess. But that was the the emphasis that he was talking about. And he, he sort of showed, Hey, here's, here's how you, you know, you want to position the very nitty gritty details of it, but then also the underlying why. So it wasn't just, Hey, I'm the boss. Here's what you need to do. Do it. But trying not just to explain the what, but the why, and then beyond that, sort of the, the cues to to create that performance on demand, the little nuances, the, the lead domino that if you do this, then naturally you'll want to roll your wrist, and then that, you know, all, all of these kinds of consequences, which I appreciated. And just his, his whole general mindset around movement was, you know, don't drop step unless you absolutely need to, just start pushing out of position, just start moving. And keep the gun up high, which I actually found you know very weird during the stage. This is one of those things that's probably going to take me months to to get a handle on it and get a feel for. But it definitely it was very interesting. He was talking about you know keep the gun up at eye level, uh, just just raise your whole arm up and just keep it up. And and what I found just uh, dry firing mostly on the on the side berms in between chances to to actually run the drill live. I found it it felt I felt very top heavy and it actually. What I found was more difficult was was stopping. It was it, by being sort of keeping your center of gravity high, by being top heavy like that. As soon as you started moving, you really wanted to go. And and at that point, the, the trick was actually sort of catching yourself, keeping your feet under you, and decelerating enough before you you got to where you were going. So, yeah, again, it's it's one of those things that's going to take a while to to really play around with and integrate. But there even you know, even within the class, it was, I was already starting to see, okay, there's, there's something here. And so I got to put in the time and figure it out. Definitely the most common question that I got about the class was sort of what, was there anything that I learned? Obviously there was a huge amount that I learned, uh, in what surprised me. And so I just have a kind of few odds and ends here at the end of just things, things that I think were, were the biggest surprises. So the first one is the Eric's personal target in a match, and obviously he's even tighter in, in practice, but the goal in a match is, based on the, the number of rounds, you should have no more than 10% Charlies and 1% Delta. So if you got a 500-round match, that's 50 Charlies, 5 Deltas across the whole thing. So a very exacting standard, and in, in shooting minor, that'll work out to be 95% of available points and I'd asked him, does that does that apply in major as well, or do you relax it because there there are fewer points that you drop per per Charlie and Delta? And he said, no, same same ratios. And I I thought that was pretty aggressive. I mean, obviously, it's shooting major that'll end up putting you at ninety seven plus percent of points if you really are only shooting ten percent of Charlies. But when you do the math on a ten hit factor stage, the the difference between an Alpha and a Charlie, okay, it's one point. That's a tenth of a second. Could you shoot a Charlie in a thirty, but an Alpha in a forty, or a Charlie in a twenty-five and an Alpha in a thirty-five? I mean, it you, the hit factors have to get pretty high when when it's no longer worth taking that that extra tenth. 
So I, I thought that was that was definitely surprising. And then his approach is on a stage. Yeah, if it's a if it's a short course, a twelve round stage, okay, you can drop one Charlie at most. If it's a twenty round medium course, two Charlies. And that doesn't really get corrected for the amount of partial visible. You gotta aim at, at whatever alpha you've got available. If there's a given target that you want to use your Charlies on because you just think that there's no chance you can really get the, the alphas, then so be it. But I I maybe it just plays into my natural inclination, but I really appreciated this idea that that he basically, you know, unless you're getting up into crazy hit factor territory, he, he basically was saying there's really no point, no spot in the sport where it's acceptable to just start slinging Charlies and not really care. And I appreciate that. I mean, to be honest, that's one of the reasons that I've really enjoyed shooting production and, and minor scored divisions because it it rewards getting your alphas. And I mean, it is interesting hearing him talk about that being true even in major. I, I don't really foresee a scenario, especially with limited kind of declining in popularity where I would maybe go buy a, a 40 limited gun. I, you know, I thought about it a few years ago, but I, I never got around to it. But even there, applying that same level of accuracy to major actually makes major more appealing to me. One of the things that that made major not that interesting to me was this idea that, yeah, you know, you can just kind of sling Charlie's all over the place and, and you don't really have to care. Because uh, that's, I don't know, there's just part of me that doesn't, isn't interested in shooting at that level of, of accuracy. And so the idea of, of bringing this very high accuracy standard. I mean, he's he's literally saying in matches, you should be shooting 95% of points in, in major or in minor and 97% in, in major. That's uh that's pretty stiff stuff. And uh, I am here for it for sure. I am, I am, that is a high standard and, and it's one that I want to work to meet for sure. Another one that's, that's here on the list of surprises. And maybe this is just one of those where you can get good with whatever technique you practice enough. I mean, Groffle is notable for shooting with his index finger wrapped around the trigger guard, which is a pretty unusual technique that you don't really see anywhere else in, in the practical shooting community, but obviously he's made it work for him. But, uh, though what he was saying is he, his approach with iron sights is on hard shots. He is closing one eye and looking has a hard front sight focus. And, I will admit, I definitely am sympathetic to this idea. I the, the closing one eye thing is just absolutely wild to me. I mean, I straight up asked him. I said, "So during the stage, you're opening and closing one eye," and he's like, "Yeah, just not." You know, I mean, it wasn't like a big deal. It was just like, "Yeah, that's that's what you do." And I thought that was that was not something I'd ever heard anyone say or from him or anyone else. So uh, that's pretty wild. I will probably play with that whenever I'm shooting iron sights again. I've so I flipped over back to the carry optics guns to train up for shooting carry optics at the, the South Carolina match. So I'm kind of off the iron sights thing for a while, but that was, that was definitely pretty interesting. And, and I mean, I will say in the last few months, so the last three, four five months, whatever it is, since, since the last time I was shooting carry optics. So I guess basically since the section match. Yeah. So since September shooting target focus with irons was kind of the name of the game, trying to apply the target focus shooting from the dot back over to the irons. I was definitely seeing a lot of speed and target transitions by just being able to stay focused on the target, leave the sights blurry and all that. But it was definitely coming at a cost of of really struggling on steel, in particular plates and mini poppers, 
where I just I wasn't getting enough data with the, the target focus. And I, you know, I was telling myself, okay, this is just something to work on. And and maybe it's something if I if I stick it out, I can I can make it work with target focus and just getting uh I don't know, some somehow getting more enough visual information. So for for me, my as best I could tell it was just an issue with contrast. So when you've got a big cardboard target, whether it's a partial with the no shoot or whatever, you have some contrast where you can see the rear sight kind of fuzzy in your in your target focus vision and, and line it up with the front sight and, and basically as best I could tell my my struggles with steel were largely around I would have the blurry front sight on the crisp target but I wasn't I didn't quite have enough visual information to line the rear sight up and I don't know maybe there's somebody out there that, that has a, a fix for that that I could implement but I was it was definitely interesting to hear the whatever time world champ just say yeah just close one eye and look at the front sight and aim aim your shot like no big deal uh, another thing that was, uh, I don't know if this was entirely surprising, but it was definitely eye-opening for me was when he was describing his, his standard, what he, what his goal is when he's working on a draw in dry fire is he's looking for a, a 0.6 second draw in dry fire with the grip established and the trigger prepped, but the sights being aligned is a bonus, but not a requirement. And I definitely... I will have to play with that in practice. Uh, I, I I find the idea, it makes a lot of sense that, yes, as you practice, your natural index will get better and better. But if you're applying the idea of never doing the same drill twice, you're always going to be drawing to a slightly different target. And so even if it's only 10 or 20 degrees from the last draw that you did, it's never going to be exactly the same. And so I think, you know, to some degree, this idea of, being able to repetitively draw to a single target, do it in point six with the sights aligned every time, it's it's certainly a different mindset than than what he was saying. And I again I think obviously the the foundation of this is the idea of get the gun up as soon as possible. If the sights are aligned, great, start shooting. If they're not, then get them to where you can start cleaning them up as soon as possible. Very straightforward, very, very reasonable. But uh, you know, the the idea is you're never going to do the exact same draw twice, and so the odds of being able to exactly draw the gun and have it show up in point six exactly lined up, centered on the target, it gets less and less likely when you're taking this approach of of not just doing the same exact same motion over and over again, but every time it's slightly different. So that's definitely something I'll have to play with. I've never had a particularly fast draw. Um, I mean, I've never done one shot draw type stuff in in practice in any significant way you know i might just play around with it for 50 rounds or something in, in a practice session but i've never tracked my times or or done anything like that trying to really focus on on getting a fast draw but in part that was because in my mindset and again i think what a lot of americans tell each other is well you only draw once during the stage and in a long stage it's a pretty small fraction of the time so what's the point and his attitude was well First of all, in, in IPSC, there are a lot more shorter stages, so you're doing a lot more draws in a match, right? You take the Pan American, for example, that's a 30-stage 30, 30 match, so if you can shave, and this, this is how he would talk, if you can shave two-tenths off your draw, well, across 30 stages, that's six seconds. That's that's pretty significant. It doesn't seem like much, but it adds up. And and that was that was the whole attitude is, okay, if you can shave a 10th off every transition in the entire match and there's 250 targets in the match, you know, that, that kind of, wow. Okay. If you, if you take something small, but you scale it across an entire match and you put it in perspective, 
And then you say, well, you know, what what would I give to be able to pick up 25 seconds? Well, if maybe you could get 25 seconds by speeding up your every 250 transitions by a tenth. That's an idea. So I, you know, I appreciated that sort of analytical taking something micro and, and scaling it up. But but again, also the idea of get the gun out and then start cleaning things up. And yes, the the draw is not huge, but if you can, if it's low hanging fruit, if you can shave a couple tenths there safely, you know, he wasn't a he he was not a proponent of the scoop draw or anything. But if you can get a reliable point six draw and dry fire and then draw at that speed in a stage regardless of the target difficulty pretty pretty standard stuff in that sense then why would you not do that it's there's no reason to slow down your draw just because it's a harder target get the gun out start cleaning up the site picture and do it as quickly as possible because it's free time and then honorary mention here once again to the whole subconscious shooting doesn't really work thing i don't Again, I don't want to put too many words in his mouth, but it was it was definitely interesting. It's a it's a new approach. I'm definitely going to be working with it and exploring it and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Uh, for yeah, the next months, years, maybe forever, we'll see. Uh, and then kind of the last thing I had on on the list of surprises per se here was he this showed up in different facets, but he really put a lot of emphasis on kind of focusing on on doing one thing at a time until you're done doing it, and then do the next thing as much as possible. Obviously there are some places where you have to shoot on the move and then you are doing two things at once. But in general, he was talking about, for example, with, with position entries and exits, don't, don't be in a hurry to leave the position. Stay as long as you need to get the alphas that you want. But as soon as you call that last shot, then get out of there. But if you start trying to play this game of trying to lift a foot or shift your weight or get out of position, if something goes wrong or you have a jam, then then you've really made a problem for yourself. And so this this sort of single tasking focus everywhere that's possible, just to do each thing as quickly as possible, and then once it's done, boom, onto the next one, boom, onto the next one. It was it was definitely different. It was definitely unique. Again, something to play with, something that that I appreciate and and will be trying to put into practice because I think a lot of the emphasis in especially sort of American shooting culture is Blend as many things together as you can. If you can start lifting a foot while you're shooting a target, do it. And I, I definitely tend to overdo that kind of thing. I mean, I'll, I'll think, okay, I want to I want to start leaving this position, but instead of leaving it on the last target, I'll start picking up a foot and starting to move on the second to last target, which means then I'm shooting the, the last target already with some decent speed, which is not super productive. So Watching Eric shoot, it, it seemed like he practiced what he preached here. There were definitely a couple stages at the at the the Wyoming Antelope Club match that we got to, to shoot together where he could have started to shift his weight or lift a foot on a 10-yard, 7-yard open target, but but he didn't. He just stayed planted nice and firm until he was done shooting, and then boom, out of there. No hesitation, but also no kind of blending. Now, there were a few spots where he did shoot on the move as, a, as sort of a, a discrete action, but there wasn't a ton of sort of shooting, entering, and exiting which I found interesting. I I don't know what else to say. I mean, I've already talked way too long about, about this class. I learned a huge amount. I didn't even cover, uh, you know, a lot of the nitty gritty technique stuff, but definitely if you have the chance to, to take a class with him, do it. I know it's a pretty rare thing in the U S I believe if you've, you know, if you've got the, the, the resources, you can fly out and take a class with him at the, the indoor range there in France where he's he's made his home base 
which I mean, obviously that would be a awesome experience, but I, I imagine the, the financial commitment for something like that would be significant. But yeah, if he, I, I know the, the strapped guys want to get him to do more classes here. Hopefully it'll happen. Hopefully more folks have a chance to, to train with them. It was, it was definitely worth it. I, I wouldn't pass up the opportunity if I had it again, for sure. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, if you want the, he's doing, you know, he's got a online, some kind of online class thing where they're filming videos and I guess you join and I, I don't know, he's, he's doing the online coaching thing. So look at that. It's, it's definitely on the expensive side, but I mean, it's cheaper than what I paid for this class. So I don't know. It depends on what it's worth to you, but look into it. Definitely appreciated the the perspective. He, he definitely looks at things differently. I think from a lot of, a lot of folks, very, like I said, very analytical, very precise, but at the same time, very sort of simple and straightforward. He wasn't trying to say, Oh, you know, you need to pat your belly and tap your head and, you know, do all these 17 things all at once. It was just very, very simple stuff. Just done immediately in a very tight chain, no delays, no hesitation, but just for the most part, executing one thing at a time, just serial production, just boom, one right after another, knock things out and, uh, and get your alphas. So that's, uh, I think that's about all I have to say. I mean, I'm sure I'll be talking about it some more as, as the, as the podcast continue, but that will definitely do it for tonight. Uh, sorry for how long this went. Hopefully it is useful. And that wraps up this episode of short course. My email is ben at Talk to you next time.